We have with us today on Let Me Be Frank a very important and special guest. Today, Bishop Caggiano is going to speak with Patrick Kelly, the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus. This is going to be a great conversation, so keep your radio right here at 1350 AM and 103.9 FM, or keep us on your phone with the Veritas mobile app. You can get the app at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or veritascatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong faith formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminaries to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit them on the web at foundationsinfaith.org. Okay, here we go. This is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure as always to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's always great to be with you. And today we have a really important guest. Yes, this is going to be really cool. <laughs> so I'll just jump right in. Our guest today is Worthy Supreme Knight, Patrick Kelly. And uh, Rula and I have been blessed to know Patrick and his lovely family for a few years now. So um, I know his curriculum vitae could take the entire hour today. So here are the cliff notes. The cliff notes are Patrick Kelly is the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, having taken office on March 1st, 2021. He serves as the Chief Executive Officer and Chairman of the Board of the world's largest Catholic fraternal service organization with more than 2 million members internationally. Patrick has had a distinguished career in the Knights of Columbus and in the military and public service. He served the Knights first as uh, the first Executive Director of the St. John Paul II National Shrine in Washington, D.C., then as Vice President for Public Policy, then as Deputy Supreme Knight before taking the top job there. Before joining the Knights, Patrick had a lengthy career of public service, including as Senior Advisor to the Ambassador-at-Large for International Religious Freedom at the State Department, legal advisory roles on the House Intelligence Committee and in the Department of Justice, and 24 years with the U.S. Navy, including uh, as a Judge Advocate General. Patrick currently serves also as a consultant to four committees of the USCCB. He's on the boards of uh, the March for Life, the National Catholic Bioethics Center, the Catholic University of America, and the Basilica of the National Shrine of the Immaculate Conception. Like I said, I could go on and on, but I'm going to end here and simply say, Patrick Kelly, thank you so much for all of your great service to the church and to the country. And thank you for joining us here on Let Me Be Frank. Well, thank you very much, Steve. It's great to be with you. And Bishop Caggiano, it's really great to be with you also. Oh, um, you, you forgot one thing, Steve. I'm I'm also uh, a resident of the Diocese of Bridgeport. Yes, the most important piece <laughs> of the resume. <laughs> well, I must tell you, listening to that, and that's not everything you have done. Um, it, it's a remarkable, you have had a remarkable, graced career. 
right? And and I'm I'm delighted that you're that you're here to spend this hour. And as the Supreme Knight, and just as as Steve described, and all the responsibilities which we'll talk about. But there's also Patrick Kelly, who is the husband, the father, and the man of faith. So I ask all my guests up front, to the extent that you're comfortable your own personal journey of faith. What was that like to get you to this really very important position in the life of the church? Um, in- interesting question, Bishop. I-, I would say this. I mean, 20 years ago, if you would say to me that I-, I would be the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, I would have said you're crazy. I mean, it was it was really, it was the furthest thing from my mind 20 years ago. Um, but, I- but I guess um, if you back up, I grew up. I grew up in Michigan in a a, a large Catholic family. I have seven seven siblings, um, and we always practiced the faith. I mean, we were we were a, we were a very kind of actively Catholic family. Um, and then I went to Marquette University uh, mm-hmm. um, in the in the early eighties. And I, I got to know a lot of the Jesuits that were there, and they were there were some really really fine. Jesuit priests who were there. I, I, I got to know them. Um, so this was very much, I mean, I, I, I would say I, I grew up in a Catholic culture and I was educated in a Catholic way. Um, but then what, what I did was, um, I, I went to law school and I went into the Navy. And, uh, so I was, I was a Navy JAG as, as, as Steve mentioned. And that was a really, uh, amazing experience for me because you're sort of you're just you're just sort of with sailors all the time, particularly as the lawyer, right? So you're you're always dealing with sailors who are getting in trouble. You know, as the lawyer, you're you're not really dealing with the 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 stellar the, the stellar <laughs> you know uh, performers. You're you're dealing with some some trouble, and, and I really I was really you know over time I really got to know these, know these men. And they, they were mostly men, some, some women, but mostly men, because I would represent them at a court martial or I would be on a ship with them and various things would happen. So I really got, I really got to know them quite well. And, uh, I just, I, I really, they, they had very little formation and very, they were, many of them were from very fragmented families. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and you could see that, I mean, you could see that kind of coming out in their behavior, you know, so, so I, I, I got to befriend them. Um, and then I went to sea. I was deployed, I was deployed on the USS Guam for a six month deployment. And I was reading a lot of theology just sort of in my, in my spare time on the ship. And I, I had the idea, uh, that I wanted to get a master's in theology. And I, I don't even remember, like, it wasn't a credential I, I want. It was just something I just wanted to do. And, mm-hmm. and I was single at the time. I mean, I, I was not yet married. So um, so uh, I, I came back from deployment. I was sent to Washington, D.C. by the Navy to work in an office in the, the, the JAG headquarters in D.C. And it was in D.C. that I really got to know it. A lot of young Catholic people, and just there, there's a very active Catholic group of young people in Washington D.C. and and those friendships, a combination of serving in the Navy and dealing with what I dealt with, and then those friendships really really got me interested in getting a master's in theology, and 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 just n- not just that, but just practicing my faith in an ardent way. 
So what I did was I, I left the Navy and I, um, I went to the John Paul II Institute for Studies on Marriage and Family in Washington, D.C. Um, I, I went immediately into the reserves and I, I was on the GI Bill at the time. So I had, a, I had a little bit of money coming in through the reserves and through the GI Bill. And I moved into a friend of mine's basement, and uh, <laughs> and so so you know for for two years I I studied I studied at the John Paul II Institute, and it was a great education because it was just I mean it was just studying the studying the the God's plan for the human person, studying what the Church teaches, mm-hmm. but but why she teaches it right, mm-hmm. and and mm-hmm. also like coming mm-hmm. from the military that was also a, a really good experience because. You know, the, the military sort of has a utilitarian view of the person, right? I mean, it, and it, it just it just is that way. But then, but then studying this sort of rich theology of the church uh, on the human person and the, the writings of John Paul II, uh, it really opened up a whole new world for me, uh, a world of beauty and a world of, of mm-hmm. I guess you would say John Paul II's personalism, you know, his the encounter with the other person. Uh, so it was, it was just a wonderful, you know, it was a wonderful experience. Um, and, uh, and then from, from there, th- then actually nine 11 occurred mm-hmm. and, um, and sort of the world was sort of thrown into that tumult. And because I, I had a background in the Navy, I, I immediately went to the justice department and I was, I worked in this office that did, basically did wiretaps right on, on terrorists right so it was the Whoa. it was the FISA office at, at the Justice Department but all of those uh, and during all of this time you know I was I was I guess maybe you could say the Lord was working on me um, and then you know I, I I I worked on the House Intelligence Committee for a period of time and then I was at the State Department and uh, I met my wife and then we started to date and then we, you know, we were, we were married, uh, in 2008. So it's kind of a, it's kind of a long circuitous path and, uh, uh, but it's beautiful. It's, that, it's the work of grace. It right? is. Yeah. I, I think so. Yeah. Grace. You know, it's, 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 well, thank you for sharing it. The, the fact that you began your journey in a Catholic culture, right. Growing up in Michigan kind of highlights the importance of our need to reestablish that culture because young people don't have that now, right? Yeah. We yeah. talked about that in my office. Steve and I have talked about that. So they're, they're, they're thrown into a world that is giving them an alternative that is so antithetical to what we believe and so destructive to the very human person that you fell in love with that theology, that it's, um, it's now or never, really, it's a call to arms, if I could put it that way, right? Yeah, that you know that's very true. And um, you know, one of the one of the statistics I've been talking about recently is um, uh, the Center for Disease Control did a uh, did a did a study earlier this year, and they said that sixty percent of teenage girls feel persistently depressed or hopeless. Wow, sixty percent, and 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 that number is up sixty percent from a decade ago. So, so, so you think about that with the, with the, with the young girls, and I'm sure the same is true for young boys, teenage boys, this time when they should be, it should be sort of this time of, 
of exuberance and joy and life, mm -hmm. they're feeling depressed, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so what's going what's going on in the culture? What's going on in the culture and what's going on in a lot of those families too, that they're not they're not they're not seeing hope. Yeah, they're not connecting. Yeah. It's it's interesting. Uh, earlier today I was uh, glancing at the news and while I was having my salad and the Surgeon General has uh, come out with a plan to fight the epidemic of loneliness in the United States. So he's mm -hmm. identified loneliness as a as a critical medical challenge in the United States. And of course, I wasn't able to see the details. I will find out though. But it's to your point, in the end, there's such disconnection that it does such tremendous harm when at the very heart of who God is, is a community. Yeah. It's a divine community of perfect love. So we're made in that image. <laughs> so without community, <laughs> we are not who we're meant to be. <laughs> yeah, indeed. And, and it's interesting that all the, the epidemic of loneliness, these mm -hmm. these disturbing trends are occurring at the same time at, at the, the rise of the smartphone. Uh, without a doubt. You know, isn't that interesting? I right. mean. Yeah. The, and, uh, and well, because, yeah, for many reasons. One of the ones that resonates with me most dearly is, and I've said this many times, community for me growing up was a given. You had to enter into it, make peace with it, deal with it, because there were people you liked, you people you didn't like, people you agree with, you didn't agree with, the neighborhood was a neighborhood. You, these were the people that, but now it's all self-selection. So communities are actually extensions of one's ego. Mm -hmm. Because you look like me, you talk like me, you believe what I believe, we all agree. So it, 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 there isn't the sense of community as it's truly meant to be, which is the, the great variety that is the human family. It just becomes a, a, another extension of me. And that's why in many ways it's, it leads to tribalism, warfare online. And quite frankly, it's not satisfying enough. Yeah, yeah. So it's all part of technology. That that book will be written in this generation and the next. Mm. When you look back, and and again, I'm of the opinion that the digital continent is as as epical an event as the printing press, mm -hmm. and we're in the midst of it now, right? We're in the midst of it. But now we talk about community. But in fact, you are the head of the largest fraternal organization in the world. And community is a major part of what the fraternity is a major part of the nights. So if, if someone never heard, which I, they're not too many, but if someone never heard of the Knights of Columbus, how would you describe the Knights? What are they? The, I would say that the Knights of Columbus are, uh, is an organization of Catholic men, which, which whose mission is to strengthen the faith of Catholic men and strengthen Catholic family. So, so we're both right. We, we, we strengthen Catholic men, but we, we strengthen families. We were founded by a Connecticut priest, Father Michael McGivney, 140 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, with that very mission in mind. I mean, he had, he, he saw, he saw in his, this is interesting because it's, it's a, much of what we're going through now. He saw in his parish, the families uh, were struggling, right? There was, there were, there were, um, there were, there was poverty. 
there was there was alcoholism and and there was no safety net so the fathers were working in factories uh in new haven it, if if the father would be killed the family would be would be sort of split up and the children would become wards of the state so he saw, he's he saw the family itself struggling mm-hmm. he said what am i going to do what am i going to do to 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 solve this and so he with this group of laymen at saint mary's church in the basement they formed the knights of columbus and so so what started with these these very small seeds kind of grew uh, ex- exponentially over the mm-hmm. years, and so in the very beginning, the knights the knights kind of served themselves, right? They served themselves. But as the knights of Columbus grew over time, it 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 got to a point where it was really serving the parish and serving the community. And mm-hmm. so, I guess in a nutshell, that's that's what I would say the knights of Columbus are. It it, it really it truly is a fraternity. Uh, in in that sense, it's not it's not uh, it's not just an organization that comes together. It's we we think of each other as brothers. We think of the Knights of Columbus family. Um, we mm-hmm. we offer a lot of things to to men. We mm-hmm. offer community. We offer offer faith formation mm-hmm. and fraternity, and we also offer uh, financial assistance for families through mm-hmm. our through our life insurance. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in a sense, it's if you think of Blessed McGivney and ask yourself, what what can one life make as a difference? I mean, you see it painted large that yeah. this one priest, right, and his vision with his compatriots created something that is really global now. Yeah. And involves millions of people's lives. So when people say, "What difference does one life make?" Well, there's the living proof of what one life can, what difference yeah. it could make. Yeah, yeah. And what's interesting too with 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 McGivney is, um, you know, he founded the Knights, but then he um, he set it up so he wasn't at the center of it, right? Uh-huh. So he so he he insisted. He insisted that the head of the Knights, the Supreme Knight, and and this is language that goes back to the. 19th century, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, these, these terms these terms were uh, popular in the fraternal organizations of, of that day. But he insisted that he wouldn't be the head of it, right? Mm-hmm. And and what and by doing that, by that act of humility, he allowed it to continue at, after he was transferred to a to a, a new parish, and then he he was dead within I think nine years uh, of, of, the founding. of the founding. Oh, I didn't realize that. Uh, yeah, and his brother so, was a, a priest too, was he not? Yes, he was. Yeah, he I was. think I think in Bridgeport. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, I think it's a, it's a tremendous. We we got permission from Rome to observe his feast day in the diocese of Bridgeport because it really was only in the Archdiocese of Hartford, but we have joined it because the, all of Connecticut, we were just one diocese, so it's one of ours. McGivney is mm-hmm. one of ours. Indeed. Right? Yeah. Indeed. Now we're praying for his canonization, so. I, yes, that's in God's hands, I guess. <laughs> yeah, that's it. That's in God's hands. He was beatified in in October of 2020. That it was a COVID, it was a COVID beatification. Uh, but um, yeah, we we pray for his mm-hmm. canonization. I, I personally think it would be a tremendous uh, boost to the church uh, in the United States uh, to have a to have a U.S. born diocesan priest canonized. I would uh, agree. 
I would agree, particularly because diocesan priesthood is under such challenge and is in in some quarters, not all, some quarters in need of renewal. Yes, Yes. absolutely, without a doubt. You know, it's interesting, the way you describe how the, the Knights were founded, it's almost prophetic to what the Second Vatican Council spoke of. Because it spoke of the rightful place of the laity and the universal call of holiness and the fact that um, the laity are the leaven within the larger society. It's almost as if Blessed McGivney had intuited all of that a hundred years before it was actually written on paper. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It it is quite amazing. Yeah. Um, If if I could say, uh, Bishop, Mm -hmm. so um, I was in Rome two weeks ago and I had a meeting with the Holy Father and among the things I briefed him on was the, the cause of canonization. Uh, for, for oh, McGivney. good. I was wondering what happened. Yeah. So tell us, how was that meeting? <laughs> yeah. So, so, so it's so, so interesting because it goes with what you're saying. Um, he talked, so I, we were, I was describing McGivney and, you know, the, the Holy Father knows Father McGivney and the cause, but it's interesting the he picked up, he he, he said, we we must we share co-responsibility for the church the clergy and the laity together need to be co-responsible for building up the church and and i think he he sees that in the mm-hmm. in the story of of mcgivney right mm-hmm. Of, mm-hmm. Of, of he sees he sees a, a dedicated parish priest who saw his parishioners in trouble and devised this very creative way to help mm-hmm. them mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and so it was it was it was really, I think, a, a great, uh, I would say, confirmation of the life of Father McGivney and, and what and what he, you know, mm-hmm. what he did, mm-hmm. and and what and what the knights do. You know, the knights were always in solidarity with our with our bishops and priests, right? Mm-hmm. So that's just kind of one of the the hallmarks of the Knights of Columbus, and I, I, that's true at the parish level, uh, but it's true at the diocesan level and mm-hmm. even the national. Level. Oh, that's clear. That there is no doubt that that is the case. If, if, if this may be an inappropriate question, so forgive me for asking, but how did you find the Holy Father in good form, physically? Was he yes, it, yes? good? Yes, yes, yes. Uh, uh, strong, good form, uh, uh, very active, active, and mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. uh, we spoke of many things. Yeah, so Great. I think that, Great. because yeah. you know the media is ripe with rumors. They love rumors. In fact, he dispelled I, one on the plane back from. Uh, from Hungary about losing consciousness that was supposedly reported, which was not true. Yeah. You know, it's just, yeah, but uh, good. I'm glad. And congratulations, by the way, on the rector's award at the, at the North American college. I'm sorry. I missed that, that dinner as I explained to you, but um, I heard it was a a tremendous success. Yeah, it was, it was a, it was a great, uh, it was a great success. Uh, you know, our, our our very own Monsignor Tom Powers is the rector. Yes, he is. I yes, I'm painfully aware of that. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> but you are, but you are. But but you know, he 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 did it. He did a great job, and it was a great evening. I mean, mm-hmm. there was a lot of supporters of the of the knack were there. You had a lot of bishops. We had a, a number of cardinals that were there. It was you know, it was interesting. I, uh, a few people said that it was a very hopeful night, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it was a very hopeful night, and and all the seminarians. So so during, you know, during the speeches, my, my speech and and Bishop Bishop uh, Murphy uh, Emeritus of Rockville Center, he gave a he gave a very nice speech. 
and the seminarians were all there sort of lining the walls right mm. and uh there just there was a great sense of hope i think for the mm-hmm. future of the mm-hmm. church mm-hmm. in the room that mm-hmm. night yeah i um i think not to diverge a bit but i think monsignor powers is the is the ideal person to be the rector at this moment in the life of the north american college yeah, yeah. for many, yeah, I, many ways. And as much as I miss him and we all miss him here in Bridgeport, um, nonetheless, I think the Lord has called him to the ministry that he needs to do now for the greater good of the whole country, right, yeah. in many ways. Yeah. Um, also, that's tremendous. So, yeah, please, uh, well, congratulations. It's well-deserved, right, yeah, and, personally and, 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 and professionally, both. Well, well, thank you, Bishop. And I and I agree with you. I think Monsignor Powers is a very humble priest, but also just a great example for the young seminarians. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of course, it's what I remember of the of the North America. Of course, I never attended the North American on the geniculum. I attended the Casa Santa Maria as a priest. So um, my interactions with the what we call the Hill was, was not that extensive when I was in Rome. But um, it, it is a divert. It's become much more diverse a population at the North American, which is good. It's reflecting... Mm-hmm seminarians of the of the national stage that we have now which is good it's yeah. the faculty that i think the bishops have to be generous and release the best to go which is yeah. i think a struggle a bit of a struggle right yeah yeah right. oh i think i think that's right and i i met uh i i met uh several seminarians from australia who are decidedly not north american <laughs> but but they're uh, english speaking well yeah, true that's true you know it's funny you should mention that when i I attended Monsignor's installation as the rector in October. That was my one-day trip to Rome and back. And I had dinner with Cardinal Pell because Cardinal Pell had attended because of the Australian seminarians. He was always a friend of the NAC, but there were yeah. Australian seminarians. And, he was, and that was the last time I saw him before he died. He had died just a few months later. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. isn't that funny? Wow. Well, listen, I think we're up to a break, but when we come back, I want to talk, if you don't mind, about the great work that the Knights are doing in Ukraine and other parts of the world, right? As well as this core initiative that you have unveiled in Connecticut. It's exciting. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency is speaking with Patrick Kelly, the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus. We will be right back after the break. If you're concerned about your end-of-life plans, searching for a Catholic cemetery, or have loved ones who are buried in one of the 14 Catholic cemeteries throughout Fairfield County, now might be a good time to begin planning for yourself or for other family members. Call one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 to leave a message or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Many people don't realize that they can be buried with their deceased loved ones, even if all of the family's in-ground plots have been taken. The Diocese of Bridgeport Catholic Cemeteries provides in-ground burials, as well as columbarium and mausoleum options. This makes it possible to unite your family together in the same cemetery, and it's an opportunity to build a bridge for your family back to the church. Talking about this issue is not easy, but pre-need planning makes your wishes clear, reduces cost, and helps your family avoid difficult decisions at a time of grief and loss. You can start your planning now by contacting one of our family advisors at 203-742-1450 and select option 5 
or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. We can guide you through the options, regulations, and considerations to help you make the best decisions for your family. The number is 203-742-1450 and select option 5 or visit www.ctcemeteries.org. Okay, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Uh, His Excellency this week is speaking with Patrick Kelly, who is the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, which the organization is involved in so many important things all around the world. So I'll turn it right over to you, Excellency. Yeah, I, well, one initiative that I think the the Diocese of Connecticut are privileged to be kind of like the pilot on, but I think has exciting possibilities to um, to provide spiritual and, and formational support to the men who are in the councils is what's called the core initiative, correct? So Patrick, tell us about this. This is your, this is one of your main priorities. So tell us what this is. Yeah, it, it is. And, um, you know, when I became Supreme Knight, I, I consecrated my time as Supreme Knight to St. Joseph. Mm. Uh, and cause I just think St. Joseph is such a, such an important, uh, saint and such an important example, but this core meeting is, a, is a way for us to form men, right? So, so, um, you know, the Knights of Columbus uh, have always had uh, meetings in the parish, but this core meeting is a new is a new thing that we're doing. And what it is, it, it the core is C O R. It, it's it comes from the Latin word for heart, right? And uh, you know, uh, Cardinal Henry Newman's famous quote was "Core ad core loquitor." One heart speaks to another. And what this is a, is a way for um, the Knights of Columbus to sponsor meetings of the men in the parish that really get to the heart of the matter and, and bringing men together for prayer, for formation, and for fraternity. And uh, it's, it's, it's an important initiative. You know, you, you know that around the United States in so many parishes, men's groups are forming mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and the, Men will get together sometimes at 6:30 on a Saturday morning, and and so this is there's a great hunger for this uh, among men, and there there's a lot of reasons for that. But I think men want to learn more about their faith. They want to come together uh, in 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 fraternity. So this uh, this new core meeting is a way for the knights to to really do that and and to be at the center of this. It's open to all the men of the parish. You don't have you don't have to be uh, a member of the Knights of Columbus, and and the materials that can be used for this. I mean, we're developing some materials to be used. Uh, we we have a we have a great uh, video series called Into the Breach, which is about it's about uh, um, spiritual men, masculine spirituality. Uh, that's been a very very popular video series. It has a million views, but. But we're developing another video series on marriage and family life, and then we have a we have a men's Bible study coming out mm-hmm. very soon um, later later this year. So we we have resources that we can provide, but also the groups can use whatever resources mm-hmm. that they see fit. Mm-hmm. So if 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 uh, Augustine Institute has good resources, mm-hmm. or other organizations mm-hmm. have good resources the the men can use these resources 
So, you know, it's not in competition with, with any other group. It's a, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's, a, it's a way to facilitate faith formation. And, of course, you know, as you were saying, Bishop, I mean, faith formation is so crucial. Mm -hmm. if, if you get the man right, you will get everything right. You'll, you'll get the marriage right. You'll get the kids right. You'll, you know, and that will, that will help everything. It will help the church. It will help the parish. Mm -hmm. um, so that's kind of th that. That is what we're about, and we're very excited about it because I think it's 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 something that it, there's a movement of the Holy Spirit that you see with men's groups, and I think this is something that the the Holy Spirit is really pushing the Knights of Columbus into. Oh, I applaud it because I think it is it, it is sorely needed. And if I may, and please correct me, the at least my experience of some of the councils has been that they are very much dedicated um, to a fraternal life, you know, mm -hmm. a friendship, and they're committed to generosity and support and service. They, the councils do a lot of work, whether it's physical labor. I mean, the Knights of Columbus really basically redid the rectory of St. Emory so that the Carmelite sisters could move in. Mm -hmm. They did that themselves, right? And that's one example of probably hundreds of thousands of examples. But the context for all that goodness, for those acts of goodness, is the larger truth of our faith. And if you don't go back to that, then you can lose your bearings. You're doing good, but not necessarily for the reason of eternal, the eternal reason behind it, right? Which is yeah. the Lord. So this kind of fills in the larger picture for the knights and for men in general, right? Which yes. I think is sorely needed. It's absolutely needed. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's in a way, it's sort of getting putting first things first. So so charity, the practice of charity is the is the end result of a well-formed Christian life. Right? right. But but the faith formation, you you really need that. And I right. think this is this is what we feel very convicted about in the Knights of Columbus is you know, we've always been this strong charitable organization. Mm -hmm. We you know. But now we want to be first in faith as we are in charity, right? right? And and that's so that's what we're trying to do. The and as you say, Connecticut is one of our pilot states, but we're we're planning on rolling this out across the United States. Um, and you know, it changing the Knights of Columbus. You know, to use a Navy analogy, it's a, it's like turning an aircraft carrier, right? It mm -hmm. can take it can take five miles to turn it. But but we're determined, you know, we're determined mm -hmm. to, to do it mm -hmm. just because it's because it's so important. It's so mm -hmm. important that mm -hmm. men know their faith. Mm -hmm. They know what it means to be uh, a Catholic man, to mm -hmm. be a father, uh, to be a strong husband. Um, Absolutely. These are this. It's a crucial thing for mm -hmm. us. There is a statistic I've often quoted. If if the if the father of a family is practicing his faith in an active and authentic way. His children are five times more likely to remain active in the faith. Yeah. So yeah. see the dividends of what something like this can actually produce over time. You know what I'm interested in seeing as this evolves? And as I mentioned, I'm a very, I will support it in, in my diocese any way I can. And I'm hoping in the summer we could gather the, uh, the councils to talk about it. What I'm curious to see is how this will roll out and how it will evolve in the different, forgive me for calling it this way, but the different soils that we have in the country. 
because there are certain regions of the country that have remained more religiously observant. They are more faith-oriented. Other areas have become much more secularized by comparison. So I'd be curious to see what results occur in these different parts of the country, because that yeah. itself is instructive. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And, and we have a we have a whole team here. And oh, a year from now, they'll have a much better idea as mm-hmm. to like which which soil is, you it, know, is bearing this, fruit faster. Fruit. Right. Yeah. And what could be learned from that? Too? Well, I must confess uh, here in Connecticut, we we are fairly secular. New England is yeah. much more than I've ever thought. And in fact, I heard a statistic, and I'm not sure this this may be inaccurate. So I should, perhaps I shouldn't even say it, but I do remember something crossing my desk that said that the majority of the people of Maine do not, at least when asked, profess belief in a personal God. Yeah. Now yeah. that may not be accurate, but it's probably not totally far in from the truth in many parts of our country, unfortunately, right? More of a deism. So here in Connecticut, this this I'm very curious to see how it goes. And I'm quite frankly, I will we will do everything we can to make it work because, particularly young men, young men, for young men to find a place where they are comfortable to express their heart mm-hmm. is a rare commodity nowadays. Yeah, and that's exactly what they need to do in order to actually mature. Yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's so true. And and it, it I think Bishop it goes to a lot of what you are doing in the diocese with the the one campaign, yes. right? With mm-hmm. with with small s- small groups of, you know, faith communities sort of encouraging one another uh, almost the way the early Christians did. You know, right. we're reading Acts of the Apostle and mm-hmm. Acts of the Apostles in the season, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's one of the things I'm going to ask the pastors, I meet with them later in the week, is I'm going to ask them as, as an initial salvo, is in the RCIA, that the process, those who were just initiated into the church this past Easter vigil, I would want them to keep those groups intact as a praying group, as a supportive group, now that they're fully initiated, so that mm-hmm. they don't disband but keep meeting as a group. And they will do it themselves for that support. So in effect, this core meeting will spawn smaller groups themselves because who have like minds or like backgrounds, whatever it is. So this is seeding what we what we want to do in the Diocese of Bridgeport. You are ahead in many ways of what we want to do. So I, I think it's I think it's tremendous. Personally. Yeah, you know, one key element of it too is that um so, so it's it's prayer, uh, faith formation, and fraternity. But the fraternity is key. Like, so it, it has to it has to be about friendship, right. right? So it can't become an intellectual exercise. Right. It can't become just a Bible study where you're studying the Bible. It had it has to really there has to be, as you say, uh, hearts speaking to one another, friends friendship developing. Right, right. right. Uh, I I may have mentioned this, uh, Steve. I don't remember in the last time we met. But the startling statistic you mentioned about young women and young men, it, there are five times more young men who do not have a single close friend they have identified in their life than 25 years ago. 
15% of all young men do not have a single friend that they consider a close friend or a friend at all. That is scary. Absolutely scary. But now switching gears, if I may. So in addition to the core meetings and all the rest, the perennial charitable work of the nights, I mean, goes on. And I'm not sure a lot of our listeners realize how much the Knights of Columbus have grown. So, for example, it's more than the United States, correct? Yeah, it is. It is. We're, you know, we're in nine countries. uh, But, you know, beyond the U.S., we're in Canada, obviously, but Mexico, the Philippines, Ukraine, Poland, um, and uh, and, and a a number of of other countries, Lithuania. Mm -hmm. So and, and even in South Korea. So, yeah, the, the Knights have expanded mm. uh, over the course of the years. And um, uh, it's really it really is interesting because it, it, this is it's an American creation, but it seems to be taking root in other countries as well. Because it's a fundamental human dynamic. Yeah. Bless me, give me identify just a basic grammar of 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 human life, particularly as men live it. So talk to me about the Ukraine then, because you visited the Ukraine, did you not? Yeah, I did. I did. In fact, I I was over the course of the last year, I went to Ukraine twice. um, And um, uh, it was, we, we have, if you, we have 2000 members of the Knights of Columbus in Ukraine. So Mm -hmm. right after the war started within, within 36 hours, we set up, the Ukraine Solidarity Fund as a way to bring humanitarian relief uh, to Ukrainian refugees. And, and we saw a tremendous outpouring uh, of support for this, for this fund, which allowed us to do, to do so much charitable work um, within, within Ukraine. Um, you know, and over the course of the last year, uh, we have done, well, we've done a lot. I mean, we've, we've delivered 6 million pounds of food, and care packages. One, one of the big things we've done is delivered 200,000 care packages right to where um, the need is the greatest because we're, we're not an aid agency, right? So, so w- what does that mean? I mean, first of all, we have no overhead. So you don't, we're not paying staff to do this. We're just, we have, we have a staff here, but then we have volunteers on the ground in Ukraine. Um, but we also know where to get the aid, like immediately where that aid needs to go because of our, our members. I mean, we, we have families in these towns, so mm-hmm. they know exactly uh, where the aid needs to go. Um, so that, so we're a, you know, we've been a good delivery vehicle for, for aid, I could say. Um, but also in my visits there, I really, um, I just came away uh, with the sense that this is not going to end anytime soon. Mm. Um, and the people, the people are really suffering uh, uh, in, in Ukraine. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of you know, internal refugees, but then we've also seen millions of people migrate uh, in, into Poland as well. And the message I, I delivered in the days I was there um, was a message of hope uh, that I wanted to li- to deliver because, you know, the Ukrainians are very, they feel like they're going to be abandoned by the West, right? That the West, the West will be into this for a while, but we don't have any staying power. Um, so I, I delivered the message on behalf of the Knights that, that, um, 
you know, that we're, we're there with them, that they're not alone in, in, in this, uh, in this terrible circumstance. Um, you know, and, and I have to say, I have to say that the church is doing such a good job in Ukraine uh, and in Poland. I mean, the refugee centers, uh, there really, there, there are no refugee centers per se. What has happened are people have just opened up their homes uh, mm-hmm. for refugees. Mm-hmm. And the church has done a tremendous job of mm-hmm. opening up um, monasteries and abbeys and convents and I toured a lot of these places, and you have you have refugees living everywhere, um, right. living everywhere in 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 you know closets and in every available space, and it's been going on for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. So yeah, I think CRS is one of the leaders, right? Catholic Relief Services too, in providing some of those some of that assistance. Yeah. So so I, so with the councils and the members. What sense do you have of those who perhaps, unfortunately, have lost their lives or lost their property or their homes? How how, how do you have a sense of that? Yeah, I mean that that we we have had members of the knights who have been killed in in action uh, mm-hmm. in there, and um, but yeah, it's it's a re- it's it's a it's a very real thing. I, I would say that, and this kind of goes back to our discussion of fraternity, the, the knights in Ukraine. Mm-hmm. And the knights in Poland have really come together uh, to help the oh, situation. Great, you know there there is there is historic tension between Ukraine and Poland, but we've seen none of that at all, mm-hmm. and and that's been a very encouraging thing to mm-hmm. to to see. I mean, you've seen you've seen the Polish people open up their homes uh, for Ukrainian refugees. One of the one of the meetings that I had when I was over there was a meeting with. The Polish president, uh, and I gave him I gave him um, uh, the 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 Caritas Award on behalf of the 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 from the Knights of Columbus. I gave it to him for the Polish people because they've done such a wonderful job of of just being uh, being there for the Ukrainian people. Um, so um, you know, the other thing I want to mention too is you know, it was a very difficult winter in Ukraine because mm-hmm. the, the the power grids were were being hit uh, by missiles and uh, so one of the things that the knights were able to do is to deliver generators power generators to parishes mm-hmm. as so we could provide some some means of warmth for the community so mm-hmm. uh, you know so that's been kind of a crucial mm-hmm. crucial aspect as well you know you 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 made a very interesting observation about this war not being anything other than a very long protracted war. And uh, from my, you know, layman's point of view, it would seem that that is ultimately what is going to happen. So the casualties are going to continue to grow. The suffering will continue to expand. And quite frankly, some of the fears of the Ukrainians may be materializing because when you watch the news now in the United States, the Ukraine used to be at the very head of the of the headlines, and now it's receding. I mean, they yeah. they know the West how it works. I think that, right. that that's a legitimate fear, right? Yes, it's a legitimate fear. So the extent that the Knights are active and 
and remain active, which hopefully will give them consolation. But I just wonder to myself when I pray, what is the way to solve this? What is the way to bring this war to an end before? Yeah. I mean, there was a report over the weekend, 100,000 Russian soldiers have died in yeah. the war. That's yeah. 100,000 families who are mourning men in their, what, in their 20s? Yeah. Some even younger. To what purpose? Yeah. yeah. It is it is extraordinary. I mean, this is this is this is a wound that will that will go on, right? Mm -hmm. it, will, it will go on, you know. Mm -hmm. For for our part, I mean, it's it's one of the reasons I think we had so much success with this effort was people felt hopeless, right? I mean, pe pe Americans felt like, what well, what can I do? What what can I do? You know, in in this situation, and they said, well, I'll you know, I could just, I can help, I can help refugees. So, mm -hmm. you know, we had people go to our, you know, go to our refugee. Um, we have a, we set up a website um, for our Ukraine relief fund. People went to it and donated. Uh, and I would say this, I mean, if people want to continue to do that, they can, they could go to, you know, KOFC slash Ukraine uh, to, to, to give aid to Ukrainian refugees. So, what what other what other charitable outreach do the knights do? I mean, there's a lot more that you're that you're like the Eucharistic revival. You've been of tremendous help, and other things. You may want to share some of that too. Yeah. So, so we have been uh, well very involved in the Eucharistic revival. Um, obviously, that's that's a crucial crucial thing that the bishops are taking on, and the knights are helping you know with that a tremendous amount. Um, you know, we have a we have a uh, uh, a large ultrasound program, and we give um, we give um, ultrasounds to pregnancy centers, which really um, and it's been a very very successful program for us, to the point where we've given seventeen hundred ultrasounds to pregnancy centers. Wow! And, and that's that's a way to help you know help vulnerable mothers and their children. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, we we have a coats for kids program. We 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 give away a lot of coats for kids, um, and uh, we do local food drives and a, a number of number of. Uh, the thing about the nights is we, we have we have uh, kind of hallmark programs, but then each council can can come up with their own sort of charitable charitable program, and that ranges right. So sometimes you know father needs help with something and that the council will will pick up the slack and do it but sometimes you know these local councils get involved in some of our national programs as well so mm -hmm. in so, many ways you know, the each night year we do we do 154 million dollars in charity that's what i thought but this is crucial we do 47 million volunteer hours mm -hmm. that's a lot of volunteering you're telling me Right, and both on both scales, that's an awful lot of that's an awful lot of uh, of outreach and service and charity. Yeah, yeah it's tremendous. You know, in a, in a way, the knights are kind of structured like the church. You have a central, yeah. right, and then you have states, right, almost like provinces, and then you, the the councils are almost kind of like the semi not semi autonomous, but they have the liberty and freedom, like a pastor in a parish, to kind of guide the work of the council in a certain way, provided that you you know. I call it stay on the ranch. You have to make sure mm -hmm. that you stay right connected. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. 
Fascinating. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's that's exactly right. Um, mm-hmm. But we also have, you know, we have a way to communicate to our members through our magazine. And, and uh, so so we do have a way to, to, to reach our members and to reach their families with mm-hmm. with the message. But then we allow, you know, we allow our councils to come up with their own ways to, you know, to to serve the church and to, to, sh- to serve their community. Wow. Well, I must tell you, I'm delighted that you are in the position that you are in. So it proves God knows what he's doing. <laughs> and I, and I will, and I, we're all praying for you. I, you have a huge responsibility to guide this organization, but, um, but even for what you've shared, I think you're moving it in the direction, which at least from my perspective as a Bishop, it, uh, it's exactly what the church, at least the church in Bridgeport is what we're hoping to accomplish. So you have my prayers, Patrick, and my support and anything I could do to help you. And, um, any last words from you? I'm well, going to give you the last word today. Any last well, words? I would just, you know, I would just, I just want to thank you for, uh, you know, for this opportunity and thank you for the prayers. I mean, you know, I, I've been in this role for two years now and, uh, uh, it, it comes with a lot of challenges, uh, mm-hmm. but it also comes with a tremendous, tremendous blessings and just people I've been able to, to meet and, uh, the things I've been able to, to work on. But I really, I mean, it's 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 a privilege to lead the organization of so many great families, so many Knights of Columbus families who are such good-hearted, uh, good people. Um, that that that's that's everything. That's everything. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, if you if, for me to be able to do that, so I'm just so grateful uh, for the opportunity and grateful for the prayers uh, that everyone that everyone has and coming together and in, in, uh, as a as a church and as a faith community, it's, it's, it's a gift of a lifetime for me. It, it's, it's one of the great blessings of being Catholic. Yes. That's ultimately what we're about. Right? That's exactly right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. His Excellency has been speaking with Patrick Kelly, who is the Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus. And we have a listener question that Bishop Frank will answer when we come back. Hey, it's Matt from Restless on the Veritas Catholic Radio Network. Each week on Restless, we young adults restlessly seek the face of Christ in today's crazy and mixed up world. Join us each Friday at noon on 1350 AM, 103.9 FM, the Veritas app, or wherever you get your shows. Hope to see you there. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. So, Excellency, we have a question this week, which is uh, pretty interesting. So, the listener wrote in, Dear Bishop Frank, I recently encountered someone who refuses to read Flannery O'Connor because they say she was racist. While I don't think she was, it brought up the question of consuming works by authors artists and musicians who were not good people. Can you provide guidance for Catholics in this? Now that is a podcast in and of itself to answer that question. But the one thing I would say is um, there are certainly authors that you want to avoid if you wish to be faithful to the Lord, because what they're proposing, what they're writing, what they're propagating is antithetical to faith. Right. Right. The person we're speaking, Flannery O'Connor, is not one of those individuals. 
And the real question can be boiled down to this. Do you only want to read those individuals who have no flaws or sins? And the answer is you'll do very little reading (laughs) in the end. History moves in one direction for a reason. And of course, and please God, we become more wise and we we strive for holiness, learning from the mistakes of people before us. But the fact that she was a brilliant writer and was a great exponent and proponent of the faith should not be lost, even if she had a portion of her life, which in retrospect may be considered sinful, right? Most of life is in the twilight, my friends. The purity of light is in heaven. We want to avoid the darkness, right? So, but we should talk about that one podcast. It's a fascinating question. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is a great question. Yeah, we'll make that a, a full show or half a show at least. Mm-hmm. So if you have a question for Bishop Frank, send it in on social media or you can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. So is Veritas Catholic Network. And we'd like to thank our sponsor, Foundations in Faith. It's a grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization that makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. And Patrick Kelly, Supreme Knight of the Knights of Columbus, gosh, what an honor it was having you on with us today. Well, it was my honor to be with you. I'm very grateful for the opportunity. Thank you, Patrick. Thank you. Thank you for being here, and you have my prayers, as I said. Um. So, Steve, yes. shall we pray? Yes, please. To send please us off us in God's mind. grace because we desperately need the grace any way we can get it. <laughs> That's true. In the name of the Father, the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Lord our God, we give you thanks for the blessings of our faith and for the graces you give us in small and great ways. We ask that your Holy Spirit come upon Patrick Kelly, come upon his his closest collaborators, upon all my brother knights and their families all throughout the world. If you have called them to be your witnesses and to be your your faithful doers of good in the world. And so we ask that you bless them and guide them and keep them close to your heart. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come upon you and remain with you forever. Amen. Patrick, once again, thank you. Keep up the great work. Okay, Bishop, thanks very much. We'll be in touch. Amen. Amen.